0: Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. I'm in and joining me today, as always, is our transfer guru, Duncan Castles. But I'm also delighted to say that by popular demand, because so many of you have been asking the question, when's that Italian really handsome guy coming back on to the podcast? And of course, there's only one Aurelio Capaldi, the Andrea Pirlo of Italian television. Welcome back to the transfer window, Aurelio.
1: Thank, thank you very much. I'm pleased to hear that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now listen. Just because I'm calling you the Andrea Pirlo of Italian television doesn't mean say you've got to pass the questions, okay? <laughs> you can call me the maestro if you like. The maestro, okay. I'm as always, as always. I will just call you Mister, 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 <laughs> Mister. But well, but okay. Andrea Pirlo still hasn't coached. No, I know. Game, so. whereas, whereas you are much better at broadcasting than he is. So yes, we'll, we'll give you that, <laughs> mister. Uh, we're <laughs> going to start today's podcast with Manchester City's pursuit of Napoli central defender Kula Bali. It's our information that City have gotten much closer to concluding a deal for the centre-back. In fact, it's reported uh, to us here at the transfer window that personal terms are all but agreed with the player himself and that a lot of work in the past few days with regards to agreeing a fee with Napoli has also been successful in terms of making progress. Duncan, this is a story you broke on the Transfer Window podcast some weeks ago. Uh, Does this come as a surprise to you? or Do you think that we are going to see the end of this particular transfer with the player
2: moving? to the Etihad Stadium. As we've said all along, Manchester City want an elite centre-back to put in beside Emeric Laporte uh, for the coming season. They've signed Nathan Aki as a um, initial £41 million backup um, to Laporte, which shows you um, the the state of their ambition and and the money they're going to put into the market. Uh, This window, they've looked at a lot of candidates. So you have um, Koulibaly, of course, Ruben Gias, Benfica, um, Jose Jimenez, they made an inquiry to Atletico Madrid about and were told uh, you will only get them if you pay the release clause um, and some other top centre-backs have been options for them. We told you in the podcast that the uh, the information from um, France, where uh, Gabriel has been lined up as a replacement um, for uh, Napoli, for Coulibaly, was that they expected... Movement on this once Napoli had been uh, eliminated from the Champions League and therefore didn't have to worry about transfer discussions and contract negotiations going on with one of their key players while they were playing in that competition. Obviously, Napoli are out now. Um, the room is open for negotiations, uh, and I think Aurelio can update us on where things are from the from Napoli's perspective and what kind of money they are a- asking for Kulabai and how their demands. Uh, on financial terms, have dropped post COVID.
1: Uh, Napoli now are asking for uh, something like seventy million. Uh, of course, they they used to ask for more be, before the virus, but now they know that uh, the the times are have changed. So um, they they would be happy to sell the player for around seventy million euros. Uh, from what we know. City uh, have offered something like 60. So I don't think the two clubs are too far. And um, when Ancelotti was sacked and um, Mr. De Laurentiis appointed Gattuso, Gattuso was told that probably uh, Colibri would go at the end of the season. So he's ready to lose the player. And uh, on the other side, don't forget Napoli, um, spent a lot of money for um, Osimen, the striker. So they need some, they need some cash, and uh, they need to sell the player. So uh, even if Kulibali a couple of weeks ago said he would be happy to stay, uh, everybody expects uh, the player to leave. Well,
0: that's one deal which is becoming uh, closer and closer. To a conclusion, uh, it would not be, of course, a transfer window podcast without talking about Jaden Sancho. Uh, we're not going to bore you because we're just going to get an update from Duncan on where things stand regarding Manchester United's pursuit of the England winger. Duncan.
2: Yeah, I think we've seen from Dortmund... Um, a push to hold to their position that the deadline to buy Sancho has passed and that because Manchester United did not meet their 120 million euro asking price, they intend and expect to keep the player. We've seen various Dortmund players um, talking about how pleased they are that Sancho will be remaining for another season. We saw um, today uh, the uh, squad manager at Dortmund, Sebastian Kell, say something along the same lines. It was important to get clarity in the subject. We know about Jaden's attractiveness but also of his importance to us. He gives our team that little extra. We're happy that he's staying. Sancho himself spoke on Wednesday after um, a Dortmund friendly match and didn't commit himself either way. He talked about how he loved playing with this team and how he saw himself now as a senior player and that he could He was looking forward to guiding through the young players in the squad which is quite a remarkable statement from someone who's just turned 20 but shows um, his status in the game and his uh, his importance to Dortmund. Um, So we still have this this poker game between the the two parts. Um, There is a belief that if Dortmund received the 120 million euro offer from Manchester United. They will still sell. Manchester United believe they can get there. They don't feel that the the early deadline was a genuine one. And they have, in their eyes, till October 5th to resolve the situation. However, I get um, the sense from information I've heard over the last couple of days that United are now setting themselves up for the possibility that they cannot get a final agreement on Sancho. And they're looking to an alternative strategy for their substantial transfer funds in this window if Sancho can't be done this summer. We told you um, last month that they'd made an inquiry about Osman Dembele at Barcelona, who everyone knows is available for sale and probably for loan from Barcelona because of the problems he's had at the club, Um, there has been an inquiry as to what the cost of that deal would be, um, loan fee, salary, etc., whether an option to buy would have to be included. Um, I'm also hearing that United are looking to reallocate cash if Sancho cannot be done to other areas of the team that Ulligun or Solskjaer once reinforced uh, going forward and which had not been a priority. Right wing had been the priority. Sancho is the priority. But they will look... To do um, business in other areas, we've talked previously about the centre back who they would like to do in tandem with Sancho, regardless of whether he's done the left-sided centre back, the ability to take the ball out of defence and 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 create play. They're also in the market for a full back, um, preferably a left back, um, and as a essentially as a backup to Luke Shaw, but a young um, talented player who can be developed into a potential. Uh, first choice fullback for the team. Um, they have the option then to move Brandon Williams over to the right hand side as the the backup to Aaron Wan Bissaka. Um, we told you in May that there was an interest in Manchester United in Foday Balotuere, um, the left back at Monaco, and I think he's very much in that category of young. He's a French under twenty one international. He's played a lot of games for Monaco, but he's not um, a guaranteed. Um, starter for the entire season so the kind of player you could bring in in those circumstances, add to the squad would be satisfied as working and challenging for a place rather than the expectation that you had to be a a starter in every match so there's a shift there from Manchester United and looking at um, alternative possibilities if Dortmund are true to their word and won't sell Sancho in this window and, and I think that's probably a welcome sign from um, for, Man- for Manchester United fans that United are operating in a way um, where they, ha- they have at least a, a, a strategy set out for them um, should their first choice deals not be um, completable in this window.
0: Aurelio, uh, you have seen Douglas Costa play for Juventus over the last uh, two, three years. Um, there is a suggestion... Um, that he may be made available for transfer or even on loan. Uh, Manchester have expressed an interest in him uh, in the past. Would you see that that as being a plausible uh, replacement, if you like, in terms of transfer if United don't get Sancho?
1: I think that's a possibility. Uh, The quality of Douglas Costa is high. Uh, I think that uh, his dribbling is fantastic. The only question mark is about his physical conditions because injuries um, are uh, frequent with him. So uh, that is the only question mark, but um, the ability of the player is there and Juventus uh, are ready to sell him. So I think that uh, that's a real possibility. Aurelio, what kind
2: of fee are Juventus looking for for Douglas Costa? And if they can't achieve that fee, do you see them loaning the player for a season with an option to buy towards the end of the window in order to get his um, wages off their um, quite strained financial books for the for the coming season?
1: I think that United and the potential buyers uh, of Costa are aware of these um, problems with injuries. So I think that uh, giving the player alone with a, a close to buy him is, uh, is something more probable and um, I think uh, on the other side that Juventus can't wait uh, to get rid of his wages because they have so many players now and they want to get rid of some uh, big wages and uh, that's why I think that uh, loaning the player uh, is something possible. With regards to Juventus, uh, Aurelio, um, we did
0: speak about uh, the Italian champions on uh, this week's podcast earlier, Um, and obviously there is a new coach, head coach in place, but there's also uh, problems for one of Europe's most elite clubs in terms of their finances. Uh, Is it true that they are estimating a a loss of around possibly up to €70 million just for the coming season, based on the uh, consequences of the viral pandemic?
1: That's that's what experts say. And um, so also their plans, of course, um, are to be made according to uh, the financial situation. Of course, the virus was a big factor. Uh, when they signed Ronaldo, they thought that um, they would get... Uh, bigger on global terms uh, but uh, something has not worked out and now uh, they are ready to get rid of some players um, Artur and Kulusevsky uh, are the two players uh, sure to to join the team and uh, Andrea Pirlo uh, already, already said he likes them uh, on the other side, uh, some deals like Matuidi's, will be will be done uh, in the next days. Uh, Matuidi after Matuidi's departure, Juventus are trying to get rid of Iguain and Kedira, for example. Uh, Aaron Aaron Ramsey's future still uncertain. Although I think that Ramsey uh, must be given another chance because it uh, still hasn 't shown what he can do in turin
2: what is the the view on cristiano ronaldo's um time at juventus what's the perception from Andre Agnelli, um from the club from the supporters and and actually from cristiano himself it is the is the idea that this is a project that hasn 't worked or of external circumstances and perhaps the appointment of a of a coach who who wasn't an ideal fit for Juventus when you came on the podcast last year. You were telling us that you didn't expect Maurizio Sarri to do well at Juventus and you didn't see that he was a Juventus-style coach. Have they all conspired to have this, um, this failure in the Champions League again, even though Cristiano Ronaldo has been on the team?
1: You, um, Cristiano Ronaldo and Sarri, for example, didn't get on very well. <laughs> for example, during, during training, Sarri always won't always used to say to cristiano two touches two touches uh, and cristiano was quite annoyed uh, for um, this is one of the reasons why he was uh, he, he didn't like so much training with with Sarri. but talking about Sari, many things went wrong and uh, we'll talk about them later if you like but um, talking about cristiano first of all juventus said that he will stay Agnelli is still confident uh, that's a deal that uh, he wanted to make with Paratici while for example the former uh, general director Giuseppe Marotta now working for Internazionale, he was skeptical about the deal and he left the club Uh, but you went to still believe in Ronaldo and uh, now the whisper is that uh, Ronaldo might leave uh, of course, Ronaldo mm, had dreamed of different European nights with Juventus, but in the end, um, uh, everybody is talking about uh, DiBala, the possibility of DiBala uh, leaving Juventus. DiBala has a big market, and Juventus uh, needs some cash in a moment like this. So. He is very popular. Dybala is very popular among the fans, among Juventus fans. But if a big offer came up, then Juventus would be in a position to sell.
0: And um bring us up to date um, as well, because uh, most people uh, were and still are expecting uh, Manchester City captain David Silva to mm. join Lazio. But you have some news for us regarding a p- possible other destination for Silva,
1: yes, yes. Uh, Lazio uh, are still uh, trying to make the announcement, but they're not making the announcement. And um, it was reported that uh, in the next two, three days they would announce Silva. So uh, the deal uh, seemed to be done, but uh, from uh, what we learned, uh, Andrea Pirlo who obviously uh, spoke the same language of Silva on the pitch and knows the player very well, Uh, he inquired about the situation and uh, he asked Juventus to try to sign him because Andrea Pirlo knows exactly that Juventus uh, needs some quality players in midfield. Midfield was one of the biggest problems for Juventus in the last season. If you compare... Uh, The midfield they used to have, for example, in 2015, when they they got to the Champions League final in Berlin, and they had Pirlo himself, and then they had uh, Pogba, and then they had Vidal and Marquisio. That was quality. Uh, The same quality they lacked uh, during the last season. So Pirlo knows exactly where to start from midfield, and David Silva is someone that he likes a lot. So he would be more than happy to work with him.
2: How do you think Andrea Pirlo will do as a coach of such a storied club? Um, he has not coached at all anywhere. He, he was supposed to be under 23 coach this season and has been promoted a week later in, into the job. Do you, do you think there's a lot of risk involved in this for Juventus? And, and will Pirlo try and tell Cristiano Ronaldo no more than two touches in training and on the pitch?
1: <laughs> I can't stop laughing when I hear people explaining the way he's going to play for the simple reason nobody knows, he still has to give the final exam as a coach. <laughs> Seriously, he still has to give the final exam as a coach. Uh, I know that uh, he always admired Lucescu, whom he worked with, that he, he liked Conte a lot, who was his coach and will be his rival because um, next season uh, Conte will be his main competitor. Uh, and so Pirlo will have to try. To, to be the, the apprentice getting the better of the, of the master. <laughs> and um, of course, Pirlo was in a class of his own when it came to producing beautiful things on the beach, but this is different. I think this was also a case of financial reasons prevailing. Uh, for Pirlo, is a terrific opportunity. And then the club needs someone trusted who is happy to work towards a, tom- a common goal. And will care little for what went before. So, Pirlo is more than ready to start to work with um, what Juventus will give him. Uh, they, will, they will try to give him a competitive team and to listen to his football tastes. But of course, on the other side, they have to be careful to financial reasons. So, that's why Silva might be a good idea for Pirlo.
2: Aurelio, Pirlo didn't intend to become a coach during his playing career. What changed his mind to make this <laughs> That's step? True.
1: Into- That's true. Um, seven years ago, he said, I wouldn't bet a euro on um, on my coaching career. I think uh, I will not be someone like Conte who leaves the, the profession in such a uh, big way so intense he's so focused and so he used to talk um, in this way but then he changed his mind when um when he decided to to attend cover channel uh, and the, the football the the football coaching course reserved to do, to the world champions uh of the 2006. Uh, so he, he attended um, the course with uh, Cannavaro, Gattuso, and the other guys, and he started to to appreciate it. He started to think in a different way, and now uh, he got this big opportunity. Only two weeks ago, he was introduced to the press as the new Juventus under twenty uh, three coach. Uh, so that was that seemed to be. Uh, his, his first task as football coach but then Sari went out of the Champions League so the chairman Agnelli decided that uh, he had to learn quickly and uh, appointed appointed him really one of the um, things I've
0: discovered in my experience uh, of working with managers who were there at the very top of the game as players so elite players who then become Coaches of big clubs is that some of them can't really cope with the fact that the players they're coaching are not of the same level as they are. I'll give you an example. Many years ago, I spent a day at Wickham Wanderers when Tony Adams had become head coach there. And as we were watching as they played a practice match, and a defender made a a dreadfully basic error. And so the team scored against him. And Tony Adams turned to me and said, how am I supposed to make a player out of him? He he's made an error which I'd be embarrassed about if I was, you know, a fourteen-year-old school kid. Yeah, and right there and then I thought you're never going to make it as a coach, Tony, because it is your job to to make that player better, not to criticise him and tell him that you're much better than he is. Now, Glenn Hoddle was infamously the same uh, when he was England manager. He would uh, tell David Beckham, "No, you don't take free kicks like that. Like that, you take them like this." Do you think Pirlo's got the temperament and the patience to deal with players, albeit he's got very talented players in his squad, but players who are not as good as he was uh, in order to make them better?
1: My feeling is that uh, he will have this ability. Of course, I'm not going to, to talk about systems because, as I told you before, nobody uh, really know, knows how he's going to play, as he has never coached. But um, I think he is—he's he's got a good head for uh, for things like this. Uh, he, he likes uh, to study the personalities and the characters, and I think that um, uh, he will understand, for example, that um, he will not have another Pirlo soon. And The irony is that he needs someone like Pirlo now in Juventus midfield, but. Um, he, he will not have someone like him. So he will have to be um, sensitive and sensible. And uh, my feeling is that um, he, he will do that uh, because he seems uh, a shy guy, but he's all, he can be also very ironic and funny. And um, he, he's been asked to be patient and uh, he's, really, he's really focused and he's ready. Uh, to be to be patient this is an unexpected opportunity for him. He knew that uh, he was supposed to start uh, from the under 23 while in two weeks uh, things have changed completely and so this is going to be a huge opportunity and he will be patient of course it will depend it will depend all the also uh, on the quality of the players it will be given and uh, that is something uh, which has to be um, learned uh, in in the next uh, weeks and nobody knows now if ball is going to stay or not for example um from uh, from what i know um uh, pirlo um, also made uh, Maybe these uh employers understand that uh jimenez uh is a is a player who would would love uh in the center of attack but uh talking about relationship with uh, with big players i think uh we'll he will uh we'll get on with ronaldo uh because uh he is is also an ironic guy uh he knows how to um, how to speak to to big players? For example, this was one uh, of the problems of uh, Maurizio Sarri. Maurizio Sarri couldn't create any empathy with Juventus dressing room. Uh, when uh, when he took over one of the first friendlies, uh, he was talking to the team. Um, it was a friendly against Tottenham. He was talking to the team. And uh, he said, I really don't know how I managed to lose two titles against you. And that was a really bad start. <laughs> that was a really bad start.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> that, reminds, that reminds me of Rafa Benitez when he took over from Mourinho at Inter and, mm. uh, and came in and, and told the players, the first thing he told them was they weren't fit enough. And he'd, he'd get them fitter and get them playing better football. Just what, one month after they'd become the first team in Italian football history to win all three major titles in one goal. And as it was explained to me, that was the end for Benitez on that first day because the players just went, who, who is this guy?
1: And he also asked to remove some uh, big pictures in the in the walls of the Internazionale camp with big pictures of, uh, of Mourinho and his tramps. And of course uh the guys were uh, were very uh, annoyed by by this attitude because you have to be uh respectful uh of the of the success uh who, of of the people who came before you
0: that really surprises me aurelio i can't believe that um, you know, Rafa would want to remove pictures of Jose, given that they love each other so much. It just very strange. <laughs> That's very strange. There
1: is no irony in what you say, I guess.
0: <laughs> me and Andrea Pirlo, we've got on well. <laughs> well, I understand that Andrea Pirlo got a good luck text from his uh, former New York City teammate Frank Lampard, uh, and said in return, uh, "You've been through this already, so expect me to be calling you." <laughs> given they're both young managers uh, in in their first really big jobs. Obviously, Frank was at Derby for a year. Talking of Internationale, it seems, Aurelio, that Antonio Conte's first season, which ended in coming second, obviously, in in Serie A, um, and not the success that was expected of him, especially given the quite substantial financial investment of the club in new players. Uh, they looked for maybe uh, two, three weeks that he may even be leaving the job after that one season. But it seems now he's going to be staying for next season.
1: Yes, that's that's very probable. Um, of course, there was a lot of fuss after uh, Conte. Uh, was talking to the press just after the game against Atalanta. Uh, Internazionale had played well; uh, they finished second, and then he, he started to uh, to speak, um, defending his players and himself, and uh, attacking the club. And uh, that was something which really made uh, everyone think that uh, this could be the start of the end. But then. Um, Giuseppe Marotta, the general director of Internazionale, started to work in a diplomatic way. Um, And uh, so now uh, Inter are focused on the Europa League. They will try to win it. And after the Europa League, there will be a big meeting between uh, Conte and the club, and they will try to to define the new plans, uh, the new strategies, and also, to speak about the problems, because uh, Conte felt that um, uh, the players and himself were not protected enough from the club, and um, but the club knows that now uh, it would be inappropriate to change again, because if you change a coach every year, then it's a problem. And don't forget, Inter are still paying uh, for uh, Spalletti's wages, and Conte has another two years of contract remaining. So there are also, in this case, there are also financial reasons behind this diplomatic choice. Of course, uh, you also need continuity, uh, coaching continuity, uh, if you aspire to get success.
2: Aurelio, you're a journalist who's always been very close to enter. Um, how do you assess the quality of Antonio Conte's first season uh, as Inter coach? He, he wanted to win the title. He got within one point of stopping Juventus from taking nine in a row. How much of that was down to Conte improving matters? And how much was it down to Sari um, making uh, uh, Juventus a, a weaker force with his coaching and his inability to um, to build a rapport with the players as you just explained to us.
1: Conte was saying that uh, he improved the situation in terms of points and final results. It is true but uh, I think that uh, he had a fantastic opportunity to win the title and he missed it because uh, this was the weakest Juventus team uh, of the last years. It was not so strong and Juventus had a lot of problems, so this was the right season to try to, um, to win the Scudetto again for Internazionale, and they missed it. Uh, they missed important opportunities, for example uh, they lost to Bologna at home. Uh, there was a, um, a clumsy draw against Sassuolo, and those were important points that they lost, and uh, in the end, they were vital. So, uh, talking about the, the the final position, second is acceptable, but it's not what they really could get. I mean, they 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 should have competed for the for the first place, and uh, if they hadn't missed those important opportunities they would have won this curator
2: And how do inter um, hierarchy see this situation now? They've had Conte doing what Conte does, which is um, complain about support from the club, demand more in the transfer market. He did it at Juventus, he did it at Chelsea. Um, but on the other hand, they also see a Juventus, who, as you said, have been the weakest they've been for years and now have a completely inexperienced coach in charge. Do they push... For the scudetto and give Conte what he wants in this window, or has Conte done too much damage with his um, aggressive attitude at the end of last season, and, and Inter therefore back off and and uh, and don't push for the opportunity to go past Juventus next season.
1: No, they are trying to to keep their nerve and they're trying to to make things. Um, the right way to to go with Conte again, because they know that uh, next season is a real is a really important opportunity to win the Scudetto. Uh, as you said, uh, Juventus are facing financial difficulties. They have an inexperienced coach like Pirlo. Uh, Internationally, know Conte better now. Uh, they have worked together for one year. Uh, they got the second place. So there are the the right conditions to think of uh, getting the first place and uh, it is going to be the right opportunity for them. So changing now Conte with two years of contract remaining and don't forget that he earns a lot of money, then it would be a mistake. So that's why Inter will will try to clarify the situation. But on the other side, uh, they will stay strong. They will keep their nerve. And they will try to go on with Conte.
2: Earn, earns a lot of money, and as Marina Granovskaya could tell you, has very good lawyers <laughs> on his side.
1: <laughs> I think I think that Inter Inter know uh, this. So, as he has two more years of contract remaining, uh, at least one, <laughs> it's better to go on together.
0: Yes, it's earning lots of money and having good lawyers kind of goes together, like horse and carriage, etc. Uh, I'm intrigued, uh, Aurelio, since we have you on the podcast. There's obviously a huge competition which is going to take place next season. And that, of course, is between the grand old lady and the grand old team to play for uh, as Celtic and Juventus try to beat each other to a record-breaking 10 titles in a row. Who would you say is going to get there first?
1: Uh, That is going to be... Um, a challenge,
0: uh, but you know, uh, you know the correct answer is Celtic, is don't you? You know that, just, just to remind you. <laughs> <laughs> you you can speak for myself, so. But as can. you know, as you know, as you know, I'm am I'm a Juventus man at heart as well. As Marcotti always said, "You're a pot hunter, McGarry." <laughs> 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 Let's talk about Atalanta. Uh, Aurelio, um, a team who have exceeded expectations uh, and also performed brilliantly over the course of the Serie A season as well as in the Champions League. Their exit earlier this week uh, seems has ended their season, uh, albeit belatedly. Um, There is an expectation that the, uh, let's say the vultures uh, of bigger clubs in Italy and European football are hovering to take their best players are they in a position to retain this team or do you expect there to be mass exodus with regards to uh, the players that have made the difference for them over the last
1: year? No, they're in a um, strong financial position and uh, they are very ambitious. So they will try to compete for the title. They're, they're not saying this openly, of course uh they are they are saying that they want to improve but when you when you get a champions league place and you want to improve again uh, what is next of course you you're trying to uh to think of something uh, really uh nice and incredible for a club like atalanta so they would like to to win the scudetto and they will be in the champions league again of course they um, they were very sad last night uh, for what happened in the last minutes but uh, they really gave everything on the pitch uh, they played uh, for all the season they played quality football uh, they showed that um, they are really uh, a fantastic team and um, also Gasperini the coach has brilliant ideas uh, we learned to to know better some players that uh, uh, were not so famous before this. And uh, Paris Saint-Germain, I think, in the end, they deserved to go through because uh, they they were really pushing, especially in the second half. And uh, uh, when Bappe got in, uh, he really uh, made good things. Uh, but in the end, I think that um, Atlanta showed that uh, they are ambitious and uh, they have clear ideas and uh, they will do well again. I don't think it is going to um, to be something uh, only for one season. I think Atlanta uh, will stay in the top for uh, for quite a lot. Two,
2: two questions, Aurelio. Who would you pick out as the most talented of the Atlanta players? And Has there been any offers to Gasperini to move to a a wealthier club?
1: Gasperini um, had some offers, some important offers last year. And there was also, before Pirlo was appointed and when Sari was having problems, there was a whisper Juventus were having a look at him. But Gasperini... Uh, from his experience at international, he knows that uh, he needs to work in, um, in uh, a club like Atalanta, where uh, he has direct contact with the, with the owner, uh, he, can, um, he can have the best conditions to work, uh, he, he can choose the players he really wants. Uh, so in the end, uh, he's going to stay because uh, he, he has finally found the um, the ideal job for him. Talking about players of Atlanta, um, there are so many. I think that um, um, a, a, a player that um, is really interesting uh, is Pasaric, uh, but also Malinowski. Malinowski last night didn't have... Um, a fantastic impact on the game, uh, but usually he has. Uh, but also um, a player like uh, Froiler, who, who got injured in the last part of the game, uh, showed that uh, he can compete at the at the highest level. So um, that's that's the ability of Atlanta. They they are really good when it comes to to choosing uh, players that. Um, Not so many people know, and then they they make the most of them.
2: So COVID probably damaged their their Champions League campaign because they had to play that huge density of matches to finish Serie A before they played that match against PSG, and you could see them um, tiring in those circumstances. Is it fair to say that COVID's probably helped them going into next season and that there's less money in the market to pick off those better players this summer than there might have been in normal circumstances
1: yeah I think you're right I think you're right and uh, uh, one of the problems for Atlanta last night was that they were tired uh, paris Germain were good when it came to putting them into pressure they created chances but Atalanta um, couldn't uh, cope with that for all uh, the game and uh uh, they they lacked some intensity in the in the final part of the game, so uh, that was a big problem.
0: Aurelio, it has been, I have to say, my privilege to join you at Champions League matches all over Europe over the last 20 years or so. Um, you very much are a expert, an expert in the competition. Uh, you don't just follow Italian clubs, you follow the competition. Um, to be quite honest, I've lost count of the amount of finals that we've attended together, but <laughs> but, but I know there's been many of them, that's for sure, uh, in many different cities. Um, what have you made uh, of the quality of the competition since it resumed? Because obviously the, the break in football caused by the pandemic has had an effect, as you and Duncan have just discussed with regards to Atalanta being tired against a fresh PSG side. Have you seen quality drop, or do you think that, generally speaking, it's remained high in terms of quality?
1: I think it it remains high in terms of quality, but of course, uh, you can't ignore that um, the virus uh, has been a big factor. So something we have already seen, but uh, there is uh, a lot more to be seen, and uh, uh, there are that there, there is uh, uncertainty. Uh, there is a lot of pathos for the rest of the competition. So uh, this is something really uh, mysterious at the moment. Uh, it is easy to say that uh, the favorites of the competition are on one side. Of course, I'm talking about. Uh, Bayern or Manchester City or Barcelona that side of the competition but on the other side uh, Paris Saint-Germain after surviving last night's match uh, now they are very ambitious
0: Duncan who have been eye-catching for you so far with regards to um, the resumption and also uh, what may happen going forward
2: I think it's it is very unpredictable because we first of all we're playing a different format um you know these one-off matches like a world cup final is it it's a different scenario you've taken away goals out of the equation which has been so important in the deciding stages of the the Champions League but I think last season we had one of the best knockout stages ever um with with games swinging one direction to another off the off the back of away goals um, you don't have equal conditions for for all the sides. So you've got Leipzig, um, who should have an advantage, a relative advantage, like Bayern, because the Germans finished their restart season earlier than the other clubs. Um, therefore, they've had more time to prepare for this. But Leipzig are minus Timo Werner because he's now with Chelsea, so they've lost their 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 best player. Um, you've got Atletico playing tonight with two players out because they've tested positive for covid so one of the regular starters angel Correa, and uh, and the backup uh, fullback shime versalco are out and maybe they lose some others um, because once you have covid in the in the camp it's always a risk that that you lose other players Going forward, um, I think PSG, now they're through. They, they do have a they have a good opportunity because they've kind of, it would seem that they've got the best preparation and that they, they had the break. Then they went back into competitive action playing two French cup finals, but they've been able to set up for this tournament. Um, it's very hard to call. I mean, I'm interested to, to hear what um, Aurelio's, Predictions are in terms of who he thinks can make it, will make it to the final, and, uh, and who he expects to win. Thank you for that segue, Duncan, because that brings
0: us on to the legendary, but not recently very common, <laughs> quickfire round. Uh, because I'm going to ask both of you, actually, to to tell me who you think will make it into the final of the Champions League, and indeed, who you think will win it. And of course, as always. Once the final is decided, we will come back to this and analyze your predictions, and we shall uh, either uh, give you credit or indeed laugh at you, depending on what your predictions are. So be careful, gentlemen; your reputations
1: are on the line. Aurelio, so first so place. just because so just because we said that it's so unpredictable you ask us to predict. <laughs> si, maestro. Maestro. Hey. Okay, okay. Andiamo, andiamo. Let's go for it. <laughs> Final, Manchester City against Paris Saint-Germain.
0: So, Aurelio
1: Capaldi, um, our expert
0: in Champions League football, and I mean that genuinely, I was just kidding about um, being laughing at anything, uh, has said that there will be a new champion of the Champions League, this season now that would be something Duncan um, I'm fully expecting you to go for Manchester City as well because we know how much you love the club
2: well Manchester City it's not the a, a walkover that I think people have perceived it as you've got to remember Leon have had a bad season for sure, but they have that preparation and that, that PSG have, so I think they, they they have the a similar kind of physical advantage there. And Lyon played Man City twice in the Champions League last year. They won in Manchester and they drew in Lyon, so they know how to get results against what was a better Manchester City team than the one they're playing now. Um, Atletico, I would like, but I think that COVID is something that that gives them a problem. I think that will see Paris Saint-Germain through to the final. Um, Paris Saint-Germain, I think losing Kehler Navas is is going to be a real issue for them because we watched Sergio Rico play for Fulham um, and he's the backup and he's not the man I'd want to be protecting the goal in Champions League semi-final and, and final. Um, I think my money would be on Bayern Munich um, I think it, they obviously they've got to get past Barcelona who are capable of beating everyone. Um, but for the combination of physical reasons and the imbalance in Manchester City's side, I think they can get through those two rounds and I think they'll have just enough to beat PSG in the final.
0: Well, for what it's worth um, I'm actually going with Duncan on this one it's not a Scotia Nostra thing I showed you earlier um, although that does come into it sometimes um, I think you should always go with the old adage that when in doubt back the Germans uh, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, brings this particular episode of the Transfer Window podcast to an end but of course the debate goes on and we welcome that and we ask you to engage with us our social media channels you'll find us on at transfer podcast on twitter instagram and facebook you'll find duncan uh duncan castles on twitter aurelio at aurelio capaldi on twitter and myself at garbo sj you can also listen to the podcast on our newly found youtube channel which is going down like a storm so just get onto youtube Search at TransferOndoPodcast. Podcast. It's very easy. You'll find it in under three seconds. If you've liked what you've heard, then please return the favor. Because after all, you're getting this for free, people. You're getting it for free. Uh log on to iTunes, give us a five-star review. That way people find us more easily who haven't found us before. The community expands and everyone is very happy. It just leaves me to say thank you to Duncan, but also to the maestro that is. Aurelio Capaldi for joining us on today's podcast and lending us his knowledge, insight and experience into everything Serie A and just generally everything. Thank you Aurelio I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you, I enjoyed it, thanks. I owe you um, a special meal next time we meet just for coming on uh, and I look forward to that as always. As for everyone else, uh, we will be back next week, Uh, just leaves me to say stay safe, be well and thanks for listening.